Uh, do you have any stories when you look backwards um, that ended with you saying, well, that didn't work? I think it's safe to say that we all have stories of failure, uh, things that you've tried and that did not go as you had expected, uh, stories where you put forth your best attempt or your best effort only to fall short of your intended hope or dream or just even expectation. Uh, maybe it was a failure in regards to just a relationship. Uh, maybe it was failure in regards to maybe a business venture that you tried something and you got to the end of it and you're like, well, that didn't work at all. Or maybe it was just failure in school or sport, or maybe it was one of those do-it-yourself type of projects that you're like, I can totally do this. And then like six months later, like that did not work at all. I was thinking about uh, stories of just looking back of failure in my life, and unfortunately, there was dozens and dozens and dozens of examples to choose from, but the one that always makes my wife, uh, Kyla, and I somewhat smile and chuckle is uh, for an anniversary present, I thought it would be uh, a lot of fun uh, to give her the gift of swing dance lessons. And so I bought a package that was 10, le uh, 10 swing dance lessons, and so the very first night we showed up for our very first lesson... Um, and it was like a group type of a lesson. The instructor looks at us and says, well, are you guys beginner or advanced? And I was somewhat offended that she would not just assume by looking at us that we would be advanced swing dancers. But I was like, well, clearly we would be in the advanced class, obviously. And so we go to the advanced class uh, thinking we're all that and then some. And the instructor says, well, why don't you guys go ahead and take some time to warm up? And so I'm thinking warm up, like I need to stretch, kind of loosen up my muscles a little bit. And we look around the classroom, the, the dance floor, and literally these people are already starting to twist each other, throw each other in the air. And we learned really quickly, you know, maybe we're not as good as we think we are. So we had to tell the instructor, uh, listen, my wife is more of a beginner. I'm advanced, <laughs> but for her sake, I'm going to just go to the beginner's class. I'm guessing, that's not true by the way, um, we can talk about just how good failure can be and we can talk all about how we can learn from different failures in our life, but at the end of the day, like just failure is hard. Like no matter how you slice it, failure is just hard. But the question that I've been thinking about this past week is, what happens when the, spirit, uh, when the failure is spiritual? What happens when the failure that comes to mind is one of a spiritual nature, meaning you do something that you believe God has told you to do, and you do that, and you're left saying to yourself, that didn't work. Maybe it was a relationship that God was saying, I want you to reconcile this relationship. And so you move forward in the path of reconciliation, and the person that you're trying to reconcile with wants nothing to do with it. And like, I did what God told me to do, and it didn't work. Or maybe it was share your faith with someone. Maybe you have a, a mom or dad, brother, sister, neighbor, coworker, and God is saying, I want you to tell them about faith in Jesus. And you're like, okay, I'm going to tell them about faith in Jesus. And they look at you as if you're crazy from another planet and want nothing to do, anything to do with God and, and faith. And you're left just thinking to yourself, God, I totally did what you told me to do, and it didn't work. Or maybe it was just God was saying, I want you to trust me and venture out in a new direction, a new path, and a new plan that I have for you. 
And so you do that, and as you're taking steps in the direction you believe that God's called you to take, you're left thinking to yourself, this is not working out anywhere remotely close to what I thought it would be. See, those failures are really hard because what you're left wondering is, gosh, did I miss God? Did I not hear what God actually told me to do? Moses was a failure, or so he thought he was a failure. Because where we last left Moses, he is feeling like a big old failure because he did everything that God told him to do, and he was left saying to himself, that didn't work. Have you ever noticed that when you are feeling like a failure that you need to blame somebody? It's got to be somebody's fault that it didn't work. Rarely is it our fault. It's got to be someone else's fault that it didn't work. And what we see is Moses decided to blame God. This is at the very end of chapter 5 when God told Moses, go tell Pharaoh to let all of these people go. And he did that. And this is Moses's response to God. Moses went back to the Lord and he protested. Why have you brought all of this trouble on your own people, Lord? Why did you send me? Ever since I came to Pharaoh as your spokesman, he has been even more brutal to your people, and you have done nothing to rescue them. See, in this moment here, we learn a lot about Moses, namely that he was expecting the exodus to happen the moment he arrives on the scene. I'm guessing we might be able to relate and connect with Moses in this moment, this expectation you have that the moment you do what God is telling you to do, that God will operate on in accordance with your timeline as well as your hoped result. I think we can apply this to, God, I'm just expecting that what is broken right now, you're going to fix it right now. Or that God is going to heal the hurt that you have, whether it's a physical or mental or emotional, relational hurt, that He's going to do it right now. Or I think we can apply, God, clearly you love this person, so you would want this person to be in relationship with you right now. And like Moses, when God's plans or His timelines do not line up with our plans and our timelines, frustration honestly begins to kick in. Just imagine for a moment if Pharaoh looked at Moses in Moses saying, let my people go. And if Pharaoh just said, well, Moses, clearly I can see that you've had an encounter with God. And clearly I can see that you love these people so much. So in light of your encounter and in light of your love, I'm just going to go ahead and let these two million plus people go. They're free. Now, if that were to actually have happened, knowing what we know about Moses When I say that, Moses' tendency to argue with God and complain and struggle to actually trust God, what may have been his response? What would have been Moses' response if that actually happened? I'm envisioning Moses' response would be like, gosh, maybe I was the right guy for the job after all. God clearly chose the right man for this mission. And what do you envision the people's response may have been as well? I'm guessing the people would have just simply looked at Moses and be like, you're the man. We've been in bondage slavery for decades, generations. Moses, you are the man. You have set us free. You are our redeemer. See, if in round one, Pharaoh would have released the people upon Moses' request, I think the people would have missed seeing God 
because they wouldn't have been able to stop looking at Moses. And I'm not sure Moses would have been able to see God because he may have been tempted to look at his perceived success over Pharaoh. Do you ever notice when things are going well or you're being successful in said venture that you often just give yourself credit for all the success you're having because the reason things are going so well is because of all the things that you are doing. It's just interesting to me that success is often seen through the lens of all that we did well and failure is viewed through the lens of all that we didn't do well or accomplish, but God's view of failure is so radically different than ours. What I wrote in my journal this past week is this, failure is failing to see all that God can do. That's failure. Failure is failing to see all that God can do. See, God wants you and He wants me to see all that He can do. He does not want us to be impressed with all that we can do and accomplish. He wants us to see all that He can do. Listen to how God responded to Moses' frustration and complaint against God for not doing what God said He would do. This is in chapter 6, verse 1. Then the Lord told Moses, now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. just want to emphasize that. Moses, you're going to see what I will do to Pharaoh when he feels the force of my strong hand and he will let the people go. In fact, he will force them to leave his land. Did you catch what God doesn't do? He doesn't rebuke Moses for accusing him of doing nothing. He doesn't punish Moses, and he doesn't ignore Moses. What God does for Moses is remind him of what matters most to God, seeing what God can do. God's response to Moses was, now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. I think God often allows failure to come our way to open our eyes to what we're missing. In other ways, failure opens our eyes to see what we can't do and to all that God can do. Failure has a way of just opening our eyes or reminding us afresh of what we just can't do. But it also sparks something in us to see what God can do. So a question I'd ask you to consider is where is God wanting you to see all that he can do today? Where does God want you to see him at work in your life or around your life or maybe through your life? Maybe there's an addiction or an attitude that has been besetting to you for just months, if not years, maybe even decades, where God wants you to see what He can do with what you haven't been able to do. Or maybe it's a relationship that just seems so broken, unrepairable, unrestorable, and God is saying, you've seen what you can do in this relational mess right now? but I just want you to see what I can actually do. Or maybe it's a financial thing where God's saying, I I see what you've been able to do with the finances here, but I just want you to see what I can actually do with this. Again, maybe it's just someone who's really in your life far away from God. No interest, no care, no concern. You've seen what you've been able to do But God might be saying to you, I just want you to see what I can actually do in this person's life. We know for the people of God living in Egypt, what they wanted was freedom. What God wanted wanted for them to see is what he could actually do after generations of brutal oppression that they had been living under. 
Now, sadly, in the story, both they, the people of God, and Moses were on the verge of just bailing on the idea that they might see God be God in their midst. So really the question I want us to wrestle with before we close our time this morning is just this. Do you want to see God be God? I know that seems like a very simple question, but I just want you to think about this. Do you really want to see God be God in your life? Because if we're being honest, who wouldn't want to see God be God in and through and just around their life? Who wouldn't want to say, yes, of course I want to see God, but I think the harder question here is how many of us are actually telling stories of how we're getting to see God in our lives? Why is there the disconnect of I really want to see God in my life? I want to see God in my work. I want to see God in my marriage and my family and my relationships and my school and friendships. We want to see something, but yet the stories we're telling are not stories of how we're getting to see God be God in our lives. What I love about Exodus 6 is that God paints a picture of what He wanted them and ultimately what He also wants us to see. So this is Exodus 6, just a few verses, starting again at verse 1. The Lord told Moses, now you're going to see. Now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. When he feels the force of my strong hand, he will let the people go. In fact, he will force them to leave his, his land. And God said to Moses, I am Yahweh, the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, Isaac, and to Jacob, his grand, great, great, great grandfathers, as El Shaddai, God Almighty. But I did not reveal my name, Yahweh, to them. And I reaffirmed my covenant with them. Under its terms, I promised to give them a land of Canaan where they were living as foreigners. You can be sure that I've heard the groans of my people, Israel, who are now slaves to the Egyptians, and I am well aware of my covenant with them. And then listen to what God specifically wants them to see. Therefore, say to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, Yahweh. I will free you from your oppression and will rescue you from your slavery in Egypt. I will redeem you with a powerful arm and great acts of judgment. I will claim you as my own people, and I will be your God. Listen to the language. This is God saying, I will do this. I will do this. I will do this. Verse 7, I will claim you as my people. I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God who has freed you from your oppression. I will bring you into the land I swore to give Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and I will give it to you as your very own possession I am the Lord. Now, God has already told Moses before, and he's telling him again, that he and the people of God are going to see the power of God on full display when the hand of God comes upon Pharaoh, and he forces Pharaoh to release the people of God from Egypt. So this seems like it would be so encouraging But as I've been sitting with Exodus 6, I wrote this note in my journal, knowing something about God is not the same as seeing God. Knowing something about God is not the same as seeing God. And here's what I mean when I say that. There are many people who say and think theologically correct things about God. I know that God is powerful. I know that God is present. I know that God is sovereign. But when the same people who say those theologically true statements, you look at their lives, they're often, lives are just an emotional train wreck. There's a big gap or a a big divide between what we know of God 
and how we're actually experiencing or seeing those things that we know to be true of God. Again, knowing something about God is not the same as seeing God. I could tell you so much about the Sistine Chapel, what I know about the Sistine Chapel, but I've never seen it. Actually, seeing the Sistine Chapel would be quite different than just telling you factual information, knowledge of what I know about the Sistine Chapel. See, I don't believe God wants the way we live our lives to be divorced from who He is. And just simply meaning, I don't think God wants us to know something about who He is. I think He wants us to see actually who He is. So just why is there this disconnect from what we know about God and our ability to actually see God? I wrote down the answer to that question this way, knowing something is safer than seeing something. Knowing something uh, about someone, namely about God from a distance, is much safer than actually seeing something. And here's what I mean. Seeing something is going to cost you something. I don't know why I have an affection with Dubai, but I have this really strange affection that one day I want to go to Dubai. Now, I know a bunch about Dubai, but if I'm going to actually go to Dubai and see Dubai, it is going to cost me a lot of something. I know about this place, but if I really want to see it, it's going to cost me something. So it's much easier to tell me what you know about God, but actually seeing God is going to cost you something. And I'll get to that in a moment. But what I love about what Exodus 6 is that it reveals not only all that God wants us to see, but it reminds us of this amazing truth, that God wants us to see Him through the context of friendship. God doesn't want you just to see Him from a distance, but you don't really know Him. God wants you and I to see Him through the context of friendship. Four times in the span of eight verses, God reminds Moses of His name. Four times in eight verses. He says, Moses, I didn't reveal myself like this to people in times past, but I'm revealing my name to you and my name to the people of God as Yahweh. Now, if we come up to each other and you don't remember my name and I don't remember your name and we have that awkward moment where we call each other, hey, bud, it's good to see you, and it's clear we don't know each other's name, well, what that's going to tell you is we don't really have much of a relationship because we don't even know each other's names. Now, if you came up to me and said, hey, Pastor Mike, so good to see you. What that's going to tell you, what that's going to tell me about you is you probably don't know me that well because no one calls me Pastor, no one calls me Mike. Now, if you come up to me and say, hey, Mikey, what's going on? What that's going to tell me is we'll never, ever be friends. (laughs) My point is, God reveals His name four times in these few verses to Moses, to the people of God as a reminder to them that God wants us to see him through the context of friendship. God wants you to see him not as this impersonal deity, but God, because he's revealed to each of us his name, he wants us to see him through close friendship. So if God wants us to see him through the context of friendship, what is it that God wants us to see? Well, God wanted them as well as all of us to see these three things, redemption, adoption, and faithfulness. 
he didn't want the people of God to have a story that they knew that God could redeem, that God would adopt, or that God would be faithful. He wanted them to see up close and personal his redemption, his adoption, his faithfulness. Again, in verse 6, I am the Lord. I will free you from your oppression, and I will rescue you from your slavery in Egypt. I will redeem you with a powerful arm and great acts of judgment. He wants them, us, to see his redemption, to set us free. He wants us to see his adoption. Verse 7, I will claim you as my own people, and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord, your God, who has freed you from your oppression in Egypt. I love that. God says, I will claim you as my own people, where we would know God as sons and as daughters. And then his faithfulness, verse 8, I will bring you into the land I swore to give Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I will give it to you as your very own possession, because I am the Lord. God made a promise, and God wanted Moses and the people of God to know that I will be faithful to who I am, namely the promises that I made to you. So God did not want them just to know something about redemption or adoption or faithfulness. He wanted them to see firsthand the power of his redemption, of his adoption, and his faithfulness. Now, how would you envision the people of God responding to all that God wanted them to see? I mean, I think you would be thinking to yourself, they must be thrilled. They must be totally stoked on what they're going to see God do. Well, this is their response to what God is wanting them to see in verse 9. So Moses told the people of Israel what the Lord had said, but they refused to listen anymore. They had become too discouraged by the brutality of their slavery. Now, it's just easy for us to gasp and say, why would you not want to see God's redemption or his adoption or his faithfulness be true in your life? Well, I think it's hard to see God when you can't stop looking at your circumstances. When your eyes are fixed or focused on your situation or your circumstances, like it was for them, they had become too discouraged by the brutality of their slavery. When that is all that you are looking at, fixating on, focused on, it is going to be very difficult to see God. And by the way, this wasn't just the people of God that were struggling, it was Moses as well. So the people of God, we can't, we can't, we can't even see God in the midst of what we're currently looking at. God looks to Moses and said, Moses, round two, go back to Pharaoh and tell him one more time to let my people go. And this was Moses' response in verse 12. But Lord, Moses objected. My own people won't listen to me anymore. How can I expect Pharaoh to listen? Moses was looking at what he had already done and it didn't work. See, failure is failing to see all that God can do. And God wanted them to see him be God. And God wants all of us to see him be God. But as I mentioned earlier, knowing something about God is much easier than seeing God. It's much safer than seeing God because there's a cost. And the cost to seeing God is just this. Obeying God leads to seeing God. If you want to see God at work in your life, through your life, around your life, it just begins by taking a step of obedience. So if you really want to see God and who He is, what He's like, what He has for you, obedience is the pathway that leads to seeing God. 
I know sometimes you can be in certain circles and you hear that word obey or obedience and it brings to mind maybe a negative connotation. But when God is inviting us to be obedient, that's his invitation of, I want you to see me. I want you to see me at work in your relationship, in your finances, in your marriage, in your parenting, in your school, in just your friendships. Obedience is the pathway that leads to seeing God. Again, the question I asked a few moments ago is, do you want to see God? Not just know something of Him, but do you want to see Him? If your answer to that question would be, I want to see God, just begin to take a step of obedience. Whether you deem it a really small step or whether it's some large step, take a step of obedience today, and I can promise you that God will allow us to see, maybe not all of what He's doing, but catch a glimpse of what He is doing. Give you a few examples. Prayer. Maybe God is calling you to say, I want you to start spending one hour a day with me. Immediately, we can jump, God, I don't have time for that. God, I'm really busy, and I'm really important. A lot of people are counting on me. I don't have an hour to spend with the creator of the world. But maybe God is calling you to say, I want you just to stop, and I just want you to be. Maybe your response is, okay, God, I want to see all that you can do with that. Maybe finance. Finances are always challenging. They're always hard, primarily because it's always personal. We don't like to talk about that. Well, what if God was saying to you, you know what? I want you to actually start trusting me with your finances. I want you to actually start giving money to support your local church or a local ministry. Well, God, my finances are a mess. I, I, can't, I don't have money to give. Well, God might say, gosh, We've all seen what you can do with your finances, but now I want you to see what I can actually do if you start doing what I'm calling you to do. Or maybe there's a change that God has been inviting or calling you to make, and it's time to just abandon your plan and your ideas. And your response could just simply be, God, I've seen what I can do with my plans and, and my way. I just want to see God what you can do as I just take a step in your plan, in your direction. Moses battled and struggled to be obedient, but because he was obedient to go back to the place he did not want to go, meaning Pharaoh, well, guess what? He got to see God. He got to see God. Not just know something, but he got to see God's redemption, he got to see God's adoption, and he got to see God's faithfulness. If you want to see God at work in your life, the pathway towards seeing God begins with taking a step of obedience.